on meditation retreats, generally hearing the bell at the end of a time that we're in a sitting form, we're sitting in this way, usually means the end of something. (laughs) And I'm wondering if you're starting to have a sense that actually nothing ends, just things change. So we, we we have these forms, we set up different forms that seem to have a beginning and a middle and an end. But what ends is that particular formation. Now I'm talking. A few minutes ago I wasn't talking. (laughs) But something remains, hopefully, which is what we're cultivating, what we're strengthening, which is this quality of awareness. The capacity to stay present with the changing formations with the changing phenomena. So the awareness that arises with objects, subjects, phenomena, whatever you want to call that, arising and passing, arising and passing, through the body of the five senses and the mind, making meaning out of it. That's it. Trying to get more and more of a sense of that, because as we do, then we'll know there's actually not so much difference between being here on retreat than there is being anywhere else. Except things are happening a lot more quickly, (laughs) as I said yesterday. So in some ways we need to have a little bit more ground under our feet so we don't get knocked over or blown over by the worldly winds, the winds that are blowing. So we're really wanting and hoping that more and more you get a sense of that. The flow of experience or the stream of experience. As long as we are in a conscious body, where there is consciousness in this body, we will experience life. And who knows what happens after the body drops away, what that experience is like or whether there is one. There's lots of, lots of metaphysical ideas about that. But we don't, we don't need to really entertain that. I like to talk about things that I know, I know directly from my own experience. So we've been here studying, it's kind of study, we've been studying, you know, as this the great uh, Japanese Zen master Dogen, even saying the word Dogen, Dogen, You just get a whole quality of the Zen master, you know. <laughs> you almost have to say, the, say his name all the way down into your belly, you know. Dogen. <laughs> when I read this the other day, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. 
To forget the self is to be awakened with all things. To be awakened with all things when we're not so caught in the separation of self and other. Or to be intimate with all things, talking about this path of intimacy, coming into true relationship with ourselves and with others and the things of this world. So more and more there's not so much of that preferential, I want this but I don't want this, I like this, I don't like that, and that whole way that we continue to separate and uh, manipulate compartmentalize in many ways our life. But more of a, a stance of openness and receptivity and allowing. And yet bringing wisdom along so that we're not in a passive state. Anything can happen, it doesn't matter, I'm just so open, things are fine. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in that openness, paying attention so that we can respond skillfully, wisely to what's happening in any given moment. It's not a passive kind of presence. It's an active engagement in this practice. So coming into this true relationship with ourselves, with others, with things of our world, and in that finding out, who am I? Who am I? As we start to understand what is creating the mental filters over our awareness so that we're not seeing so clearly what we might call these distortions on our perceptions, what distorts that or confuses our capacity to see things as they are. See myself, who I really am. Who do I take myself to be? What is this construct, the way that I construct this identity, this sense of me, and the sense of other, and the sense of the world? Catherine was speaking about that process last night, this um, way that... She's using this this metaphor of the candy floss, which I don't have that word, those two words in my vocabulary. <laughs> I had to ask Catherine this morning, what did you call that? We we call it cotton candy. You know. It's that pink thing, you know that. <laughs> and how we're holding that up, it's that swirl of that floss. And then starting to see that uh, the capacity for that to dissolve, little by little, perhaps the salt, the child, the salt child going towards the ocean, and the toes beginning to dissolve in the ocean. So we can more and more ask this question: Well, who am I? Who am I when that construct starts to break up? that identity of who I take myself to be, which can seem so solid and create so much sense of isolation, therefore some fear. I have to build up a certain kind of defensive mechanisms because the world seems so fearful and threatening other people. What is that? We start to be able to have more understanding about that whole, uh, the strategies and the habits 
of mind and body that start to build up to defend and to uh, navigate in this so-called threatening and dangerous world. A view, we start to shift our view and perhaps more and more have an experience of being ourself. Interesting, an experience of being ourself. We, we don't know really who that self is to have an experience of. But when we say an experience of simply being who you are, the experience of that natural, relaxed, open expression of you, just as you are. There's this lovely uh, story from the Jewish Talmud. Uh, it goes like this. When Akiba was on his deathbed, he bemoaned to his rabbi that he felt he was a failure His rabbi moved closer and asked why, and Akiba confessed that he had not lived a life like Moses. The poor man began to cry, admitting that he feared God's judgment. At this, his rabbi leaned into his ear and whispered gently, God will not judge Akiba for not being Moses. God will judge Akiba for not being Akiba. God will judge Akiba for not being Akiba. We don't have to be like anybody else. And yet it's so easy for us to look outside for our reference points, for our reflections of who I should be or could be or want to be in this world. And again, we're looking out and maybe not in this intimacy turning in, inward, in the interior experience, which is unique. Everybody here is having a different kind of experience. Can we pay honor to that homage, as Catherine says, pay respect to our experience as it is, however it is, moment to moment to moment? The spiritual teachings and spiritual um, um, teachings, (laughs) I can't think of another word for that. The spiritual teachings point to (laughs) a kind of purity of our being as these um, habits and these Uh, Patterns of mind that occlude the heart, the mind, heart, chitta. There is a kind of of purity or something that we are or can know ourselves as that is not so um, uh, uh, tainted. Or sometimes we might think impure. That's why we use this word purity. We can start to sense or know something that is truly a, an expression of nature itself. It's not, it's, it's not so um, hindered or limited by these forces of mind of grasping, attachment, 
aversion and hate and confusion and delusion, when the mind starts to open and relax, there's something, some way that we begin to experience ourselves that feels easeful and contented, there's some pleasure in it. It's even, sometimes we can call that even love or compassion, wisdom. There's an experience of that that starts to come through as those um, confused ideas start to break up or dissolve. Here's this other lovely story that uh, from, I got it from uh, Jack Cornfield and goes like this, you may have heard it. In a large temple in Thailand, there was an enormous clay Buddha. It had survived over 500 years. At one point, however, the monks who tended the temple noticed that the statue had begun to crack and would soon be in need of repair and repainting. After a stretch of particularly hot, dry weather, one of the cracks became so wide that a curious monk took his flashlight and peered inside. What shone back at him was a flash of brilliant gold. Inside this plain old statue, the temple residents discovered one of the largest and most luminous gold images of the Buddha ever created in Southeast Asia. And this is a true story. It was solid gold. The monks believed that this shining work of art had been covered in plaster and clay to protect it during the times of conflict and unrest. And now this golden Buddha draws masses of devoted pilgrims from all over Thailand. We really like that story. I really like that story. Because it's like when there's a crack in that ordinary facade of the the clay and the plaster, you know, all that we've kind of put up over, over our heart, you know. What's inside? What's, what, are we, what are we protecting? And it, at some point it can feel like we need to protect, and that's natural. That's part of the way it is, the development of, our, of ourselves as human beings. And then as we practice and look more deeply, we realize actually we can trust a lot more. Feel and sense and begin to know what's really here in this being, in this human being that I am. Not in, but as. What am I? Who am I? So this points to a kind of purity or what I, we could even just call it dhamma, dharma, nature. The way things are, that doesn't need, that has an intelligence, that doesn't need so much of our tinkering, our manipulation, our control, our defending. And yet it seems that our path, our journey, is one that our heart becomes occluded. There is a way that we do cover over we cover over this, this sense of uh, vulnerability or innocence, um, fragility. And this is what we begin to understand because when our heart becomes occluded, our love, the love we've spoken about, the love becomes hindered. That flow of the, the natural love, 
that we have for others and for ourselves and for life. So that's what we've been, we've been looking at. What's coloring the mind? What are these veils? What are these mental filters over, over our experience or that we place on top of our experience? The way that we'll get attached or reject or go to sleep around. And there's a reason that these teachings keep pointing to that because there's something that we want to discover. There's certainly something that, as a teacher, I feel inspired to um, uh, support you to discover, and that's because we already know. We already know in our own being that it's true. We know, and yet just have these reminders, have these reflections. Yes, it's true. I know that, but it's hard to recognize. It's hard to access this love, this loving heart. In the Buddhist teachings, there's this lovely um, list, grid, of these four beautiful qualities of the heart-mind. The first one is metta, or loving-kindness, which is this expression of the pure heart, this pure heart, when the heart is released of these patterns, there's a pure expression of wishing well for all beings, for myself and all being. There's this expression of just wishing that all beings be happy and well. It's a natural kind of feeling, expression. May all beings be happy. The heart flows with loving kindness. Love and kindness When that love is turned towards the suffering element, when there's suffering, then the heart opens to compassion. Compassion is love, an expression of love that is turned towards that which is difficult or painful. The heart just makes contact with that, and the the outflow is just wanting that, that pain to go away, wanting to find a way to alleviate that suffering, whether it's my own or whether it's others or whether it's in the world. And as the mind and heart open, this gets stronger and expands and opens. The heart gets wider. So we want all beings to be happy and feel the compassion to relieve the suffering in the world. It's natural. It's a natural movement of the open heart. The third quality, the beautiful state of mind and heart, is joy. Joy is released, this empathetic joy or sympathetic joy, where we feel joy for other people's joy. There's joy in my heart. There's joy when I see it in others. And that is celebrated. Joy is celebrated. The pain want to alleviate the pain, and the joy is celebrated. And the fourth beautiful quality is equanimity. And the equanimity is really what grounds the experience in the capacity to not react to anything. The equanimity is the unreactive mind. 
the mind that can stay in contact and be engaged in experience without getting caught in attachment and aversion, but a stability of mind and heart and body that is able to move and engage with all aspects of experience. And as the, as the forces of mind start to release, these get stronger. These expression of the human being, the, the, the loving kindness, the compassion, the joy, and the equanimity, as well as other aspects of those quality, those qualities like gratitude, Uh, forgiveness, uh, generosity, uh, truthfulness, all these these beautiful expressions that start to come through when the crack crack in the clay starts to break up, starts to fall away. It's It's the gold. It's the pure gold of our being, of our essence, of who we are. But yet when there's grasping in the mind, when there's some constriction in the mind, it's not that these go away. It's not like they're not there anymore. It's interesting because the Buddha has this frame of reference where he has something called the near and the far enemies of each of these qualities. And when there's a little bit of grasping in the mind, then when there's there's the love that's flowing towards wishing for others to be happy the loving kindness, when there's a little grasping in the mind, then that l- we start getting attached to that happiness. We get attached to our own, we get attached to others, we want others to be happy. Why aren't you happy? You should be happy, because if you're not happy, then I can't be happy. No? And we start to make the, 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 the candy floss starts to come, you know, with the attachment the grasping in the mind. So just even a little bit. And we can see how as we move along the continuum of this sense of self, the self-grasping starts to rise, that love starts to get distorted. It starts to get constricted, closed, smaller, and confined. And as that love gets, is, as the grasping self gets stronger and stronger and stronger, it turns to what's called the far enemy of loving kindness, which is ill will or hate. We're so attached and so identified that we hate that thing that won't give us what we want, that person that won't give us what we want. It turns all the way around to its opposite. So we have a little bit of attachment with a little suffering, and then all the way at the end, a lot of attachment and a lot of suffering. You can just see how that moves along that continuum of, of the self. The love is still love. Interesting. It's still love. But the love is now getting confined in to something very small and demanding. And you can see how, and I can see how on each one of these with a compassion. The compassion, at first, when there's a little attachment in the mind, we're just getting irritated that, that's, that suffering is there, or we feel pity it shouldn't be happening, or the, or the grief comes, or the, kind of the wailing, it shouldn't be happening, why is it like this? And the heart starts to close. There can be a kind of self-righteous anger as well. 
which can feel like compassion, but it's not the pure expression of that compassion. And then as, you, as the self goes, the self-grasping goes along, all the way to the end, then there's the, the far enemy is the cruelty of compassion, that we're actually causing the suffering because of the ignorance in the mind, the confusion in the mind, and the inability to feel one's own vulnerability in the face of that suffering that we could become so occluded or covered over. We lose the connection with the way things are and we become someone who can inflict the pain. So disconnected. Becomes cruelty. and It's ignorance. Confusion. Only born, cruelty is only born of, of ignorance. And then that one becomes the one who is suffering, the sufferer. It's also true with the joy. When there's some self grasping in the joy, we want to take that joy and just feel better and better, better. I love this joy. Oh, it's so wonderful. And I love how I feel. And it just becomes like all for me. Somebody else is happy. Now I get to ride on their happiness. And it's all great. And we're having such a good time. This is how I've always wanted to feel. And, but yet the self is right in there. Over-excitement. We get over-excitement. I've always wanted this joy. And if we take that further along the self, the self keeps constricting and constricting constricting more tightly, then we get envious that somebody's feeling joy. Jealous. Why do they have it and not me? Why do they get it, not me? That gap, that distance becomes even greater. Or a lot of comparing mind. I'm here, they're there, and there's only so much in this world, and I'm not getting it. They are. So confusion, confusion in the mind. And then the equanimity, same. Equanimity, the pure capacity to be able to stay present in the face of what's happening. As the self gets in there, a little bit more grasping, the first thing that starts to happen, the near enemy, is that I just start to withdraw, become more passive, indifferent. I don't care. That's not bothering me. It's not about me. They're, doing, they're suffering. I don't, I'm not suffering. I feel equanimous in myself, but there's confusion. The wisdom hasn't come along I've disconnected. And as that constriction continues, gets stronger and stronger, the far enemy is the, I get very attached and aversive and I'm very caught in my reactivity. That's the opposite of equanimity. So it's very interesting how you can see how the grasping, there's the pure heart's release, the pure expression of the awakened mind and then the grasping arises, and then there's just this distortion of the love, distortion of the connection. We can't see so clearly the way things are. So what makes the purity, what, 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 what 
generates the purity in the expression is the freedom from the grasping. Freedom from the clinging, from the attachment. Which is why this is so important in these teachings. Is to be able to identify, to see, to understand what is the nature of this attachment, of this grasping in the mind. And we can see it. The beautiful thing is that as we turn our attention to it, become interested, investigate, we can start to see it. Oh yeah, there's the constriction. There's the way my heart feels bound and occluded. There's the way I'm tense and I'm not able to breathe, I'm not able to relax. And as we do, that opening of the heart, the opening of the mind, the coming of the ease and the calm and the relaxation... This coming home, arriving home to what's true and authentic, to really who we are, simply who we are. One time in one of the a teaching I was in, a teacher said, if someone doesn't love you unconditionally, it's not your fault. And I remembered really reflecting on that. It's like, oh, that caught my attention. If someone doesn't love you purely, completely, unconditionally, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. And I realized that I always thought that. I thought if somebody didn't like me or love me, that something was wrong with me. You know, it was like, it's just sort of like a, you know, it's just the way the mind goes. Well, at least the way my mind goes. Maybe it's not the way yours goes. You know, something's wrong here. But usually it was me. I had to change or I had to be different. And this is really how we, we, we form this view as a child. Because we need and are dependent on our parents' love or our caretaker's love. And without that, we are not going to fully develop. That's the research shows that. So that love is vital, is critical, as we are developing as children. But as wisdom starts to come, and as wisdom starts to develop, we start to see that if somebody is not able to love, their heart is not capable of loving. It's their heart. Their heart is occluded. Their heart is covered over. Their capacity is limited. And so when I can begin to see where the suffering is located, the suffering actually isn't located here necessarily. The suffering is there. And as I see that, as the wisdom shows that to me, then I can open my heart to the suffering that's there. That person's heart is closed. They're not capable of loving. And it's really turned my view around. Rather than looking here for where the problem is, where is the problem? If we're not loving each other completely, if we're not loving each other wholeheartedly with wisdom and compassion, 
there's something that needs to be understood. And I and for me this is a it really gives me a lot of hope for us as human beings that maybe this is possible for us to truly come into a place of compassion and love and wisdom with each other. Because we have we are that. We have that uh, potential as human beings. And this inspires me to look at my own mind and my own heart to see what's getting in the way of my loving. What's getting in the way of my unconditional kindness to myself and to all living beings. Someone asked uh, Utejaniya when I was there on retreat last year uh, what he, how he thought about love because it isn't talked about so much in Buddhist teachings in that way. It's really talked more about metta or loving kindness, this wish for people to be happy, wishing for happiness. And his very simple answer, it was in a small group, and his answer was, and he's very, you know, he's very um, matter-of-fact about all of this, you know. He just said, oh, when there are less deluded forces in the mind, the heart overflows. Love is simple. It's just love. When there are less deluded forces in the mind, the heart overflows. Love is simple. Just love. (laughs) And I just I just love that answer. No? Because again it points just directly to what this practice is about. Looking at the deluded forces in the mind. So today I'm talking about love because we're going to have an opportunity today to look at our own heart and mind in relationship to each other um, as part of our practice. And um, we're going to today, we're going to begin integrating uh, speaking and listening into our mindfulness practice. And we're going to do this differently than the way we've done it. Uh, Those of you who have been on retreat here at Guy House and and been on retreat with Catherine and I, we're doing this uh, differently than I think has been done here. Maybe it's been done different ways on different retreats. But we want to give you the opportunity to begin to talk to each other Because otherwise, for us as householders, you know, who don't live in silent monasteries or live in caves, you know, we are living in relationship with each other. And so to, it feels important to have an opportunity to begin to practice that in real time (laughs) within the container of the retreat. And so, um, this is the plan. (laughs) I think I've got your attention. (laughs) Um, So, so what we're going to do is um, we're going to keep the the building and most of the land, the grounds, in silence. 
And we're going to have one area on the lawn. Um, it's over there, thank you. <laughs> Help orient me. On the lawn by the big trees, the three big trees, if you've noticed, there's this lovely circle of daisies. Has anyone noticed that? It's just, it's like, it's like the fairies are there or something, you know. It's <laughs> just a, a, fairy, a fairy circle. And, and there's this lovely circle of daisies, and next to that there's another circle, which is where there's pretty much just dirt, you know, some grass coming. A very interesting juxtaposition, you know, of the two worlds. And um, so there's those two circles will be the area where people can go and talk. And there's a, it's, it's, it's boundaried a little bit further back, kind of in a, a, a circle. So that whole back area there, by the, the two um, circles plus a little bit beyond that, will be the area that will be our boundary for places that people can go and talk. The rest of the area, the rest of the house, and the grounds will be silent. It's also very important because we have a number of people here, probably 20 people or so, who are on personal retreat, who are in the hermitage in another part of the, of the building who are doing their own retreat. And so it's very important to support the silence that's here. So, so when I say you can go there and talk, what that means is when we end here at 10.30 or 10.45, whenever it is, that area is open. Just go there and talk if you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine. Right? You stay in the silence, do your practice, but the practice is in both locations. Right? We're just extending the parameters of the practice. Now you might wonder how you're going to meet up with somebody and talk if you're mostly here in silence. So a couple things on that. One is that you can go stand over there and wait and see if somebody comes and joins you. <laughs> now, I told that to Catherine, because this is all new for Catherine, right? This is, I told that to Catherine, and Catherine went, well, maybe you, I don't know. Catherine said, I think there might be a little bit of a problem with that. <laughs> so she was giving me some um, uh, guidance about the English culture. <laughs> Which I don't, you know, being an American... It was hard for me to really fully understand. So, <laughs> Do, is there anything you'd like to say about You're that? You're doing really well. <laughs> okay, I think you get the point. I don't even think I need to say very much. You understand, you know. But you know, again, it's like that is something you can do. You can do something different. You know, go and see what it's like. But I know it probably would. You know, Catherine says that might feel. What was the, what did you say it would feel like? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a little confronting. It can bring up a lot of uh, pieces of who's going to come, why is no one coming, and, and it's like how quick does all that happen and is there enough 
ground and mindfulness to just track that and move outside the circle. It's like what's going to support staying really present with whatever it touches in us, actually. That's what we want, the balance for that. (laughs) Not that, you know, Americans or people from other countries wouldn't also have the same kind of response. But it's just so it's one one way... Um, and you can also, if you're here with friends, a friend or um, partner or whatever, and you'd like to take some time, and uh, you can go for walks. Um, uh, when you're in the circle and you're talking with somebody, you can say, hey, let's go for a walk. Um, or you can leave somebody a note. Um, you can pass a note. You could even do a passing the note in the dining room kind of thing. <laughs> Put a note by their, you know, if they're in the dining room at the table, you just put a note down. Someone they know already, right? Someone you know already. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for that. (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) Catherine's coaching me. Someone you know already, a friend or partner, whatever, that you'd like to take a walk with. So just as a way, a way to begin to integrate this speaking and this listening, we wanna, we're really um, highlighting speaking and listening. <laughs> because sometimes we're better at speaking and not so good at listening. Sometimes we're better at listening, not so good at speaking. And those are the kinds of things with a m- base of mindfulness we can start to pay attention in the same way that we've been paying attention all week long and see what's arising in the mind, what's arising in the feelings, in the body, in the whole experience when I'm engaged with another. Just a couple more things. We'll have the meal times when the bell rings for the meal. We'll lunch and for tea time we'll... we'll, we'll Go back into the silence on the on the whole ground, and then when you're finished with your meal, then we that'll be opened up again, so that the times is so we're not taking our food over there, or you know, kind of like having these these breaks. So the so the two meals uh, today. Um, um, uh, what else did I? Where's my? Um, and just to, and it's, it's a way also as you integrate your practice, your um, mindfulness practice, to, for you to um, find your own balance of moderation with that. So you also have to track your energy. If you are with a friend and you do start to talk and the energy starts to build because you actually have a lot of energy that's come up from the meditation this week and you don't actually know really how open and how sensitive and how energized you are until you start to come close to another person and start engaging in that way. Oof. And the energy can come up and you can feel quite sensitive and open. And so you want to really moderate that. And this is also where there's the practice of being able to say, I need to go now. This is all that I'm, all I have the, the capacity for right now. So this is great. I'm glad you said hello. It was really nice to see you. I'm going to go back into the silence now. <laughs> and being able to really moderate yourself, which is really good practice at any time. 
tracking that, moderating yourself. We'd like you to explore this a little bit, just as part of your... Take, take the opportunity. I mean, there's no expectation, but, you know, you'll see how your, how you, how your day unfolds around this. <coughs> um, we're going to also um, open up the, um, uh, the, the boundaries around this after breakfast tomorrow morning. So that's when the uh, retreat will come into the building. Will also be you'll be talking inside the building also, but that will be after breakfast tomorrow morning. Just so you have a sense of the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good too to kind of um, experiment. I mean, sometimes maybe there'll be a group of people that start to join up in the circle there. Um, Maybe just again moderate if there's too many too many people that because the more that the awareness goes out, it might be too much to hold. So you may want to pull back from that. Maybe talk with one person or two people at a time to see how that feels. So that noticing, just keep paying attention to what's happening in the body. That'll be your your kind of your compass, your guide. With talking and listening. When we're bringing awareness practice to that, what that means is, uh, what Utejaniya says about it is, all you need to do is to be aware that you're talking. Kind of simple, really. Do you know, the question would be, do I know I'm talking? (laughs) Do I know I'm talking? Or do I know I'm listening? So that there's some awareness of the activity. So that would be the question to check in every now and then. Am I aware that I'm talking? Because you know how sometimes you're just talking and talking and talking and talking. I mean, there's just a nervousness or uh, you're not really that connected to your experience. And so there can be a way we're losing connection, losing touch with ourselves, with the other. So the sense of what's happening, same question, questions. Am I aware where I'm talking, where I'm listening, what's happening in my body, are my feet on the ground, am I breathing? It's the same practices. And that's why for me it feels important to begin to integrate this so we can see that there's no difference. And we don't create the two worlds between silence and talking. So we're just opening, opening that up. Suzuki Roshi, this wonderful Zen master, said to his group, students once, he said, I, I, I see you as all enlightened until you open your mouths. <laughs> and it's kind of like that sometimes. You know, we even can have that, own, that sense of ourselves that I'm pretty awake. You know, pretty free. And then I open my mouth and it's like, oh my goodness, you know. And so we may have that experience of ourselves. And so we'll also need to really pay attention to that inner critic, to that, the way the judge might arise. And I think we all know this experience. Why did I say that? That was really stupid. Why did I come across like that? Why did I? So we have to be really, really watchful of that. We're very opened up, very sensitive right now, more than you know. 
So all of all of these all of these pieces now. So um, just want to anything else to add about that? Um, can I clarify? Okay, sure. Um, I just want to clarify something because this is a new practice for us to do here together in this group. Um, one is it's not that you to make it clear you don't have to go talk now, right? So it's the whole thing is the practice. You can still do your walking on the lawn. You can see if the thought arises, I'd like to go be in the circle, or I, I really don't want to go be in the circle, that we can examine in this context the craving and aversion that may arise in the mind in relationship to it, and just the wish to experiment. Experiment with staying quiet, experiment with going in, with coming out. That it's for our experimentation, it's not to get the right result. Right? It's like we experiment in the silence so we can see the forces of mind, what's guiding us, and we experiment now with silence and a place for more informal engagement so we can ex- see the forces of the mind. Right? And of course the hall is open all morning, so it's, it's, still open, it's, it's still open practice, it just has another dimension. Right? So we make that clear. So in that respect, we did put up a new schedule for today. There's just a few changes on the schedule. And um, from here to the uh, lunchtime, rather than we took off those half-hour increments, and they're fine if you still want to follow those. However, we're mostly opening it up to what we're calling self-guided practice, which is really what people were doing anyhow. So those two hours, uh, this period before lunch, a self-guided practice. And then again, we'll come, uh, rather than coming back in the hall together at 3 o'clock, there will be a standing uh, circle at 3 o'clock, so that if you would like to meet with the group, it will be happening outside. I think Catherine's going to lead that at 3 o'clock. So when the bell goes, that's where the group will, more the inertia of the group, inertia, the pool of the group will go. And, um, and then again, then it's open till 4.30. So 4.30, we're going to have the afternoon teachings rather than the evening teachings. And we'll begin uh, that at 4.30 with some uh, teachings on dana, on generosity, and how uh, the money operates here, the financial situation here at Guy House. And then there'll be the afternoon um, the afternoon. Teachings, and four forty-five until tea time, and then this evening we move the teaching to the afternoon so that your evening could be open. So the the evening will be self-guided practice. And it's interesting because the evenings are really quite beautiful. It's I think it's not going to rain today. That's what the weather report says, anyhow. And so this opportunity to um, have the time in the evening, which there's something that happens when the sun starts to settle. It's almost like something starts to settle within us as well. And to practice in an open way with that, that time of the day can be quite lovely. And so our evening will be open. And then at uh, the end of Catherine's um, teaching, she will say a little bit more about tomorrow and the closing day. So that's how we're kind of bringing, integrating this time of the retreat for you.
Yes, so we'll take some questions. Yes. I just have a practical question. Um, the talking area, is that, what time does that close or does it stay open? It's going to stay open. Tonight's silent, right? It's open. Open. We can, I mean, we'll put a boundary. We'll put a boundary around that. We'll put a boundary around that at 9.30. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll we'll say from 9.30 back into the uh, other form of silence. Thank you. We're just working this out, you know, just figuring it out. Yes, so open it up. Yes, please. Sorry, a Anything practical, yes. Just, just to get this clear, the, during the meal breaks, do the, does the uh, whole ground remain silent from the beginning bell to the end bell, or just for people are eating? Just for the time people are eating their meal, and then afterwards it's fine to go back if you'd like to have some, some chat. Mm-hmm. So, will people be free to speak in whatever languages they wish to? Mm-hmm. Everybody here is, speaks English. Is that what you mean? No, but they can speak their language. Should people expect to hear people speak other languages? Maybe. I think so. <laughs> That'd be lovely. The music, the symphony. Yes, lovely. Yes. Um, can I just uh, offer a reflection? Yes. Which is, um, uh, since you suggested, since you raised this talking thing, I now have a ball of candy floss above my head the size of Mars. trying to understand in the middle of it and let it all flow past me, but uh, at the moment it's, oh God, Jesus, why would anyone want to talk to me? I can't go in that circle. I'm going to hide on the other side of the, side of the you know, the ground. And so I just, perhaps, I don't know if anybody else is feeling that, but that's what I'm feeling. Oh, I don't think anybody else is feeling that. <laughs> just me then, I'll go. <laughs> How, Philip, how is it just even say it right now? Terrifying. It's terrifying to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yet you're seeing it. You're, you're seeing it in that space of awareness. It's right there, right? Yeah. So, so I really, you know, that's why we're, hold, that's why we're holding this this way today. So there's really the opportunity to f- flow in and out, you know, so... Right now, probably for you, you might want to, you know, really take some time to stay with your experience in the silence. Be really important. Be with this. So, because this is a lot of what's going on anyhow, right? In our life, in our ordinary way of interacting, it's going on anyhow. So here, here you can really bring in this mindfulness, some inquiry, some energy for this investigation. I appreciate you saying it because you did speak for a lot of people. (laughs) There's a lot of nods in the room.
we see someone else sitting in a place where there might should be or should be someone speaking to them, then I think a lot of us might also feel but we don't let them suffer, so we'll be inclined to sort of record them <laughs> as well. So what I'm saying is, don't worry, I think if you go and sit there and you're feeling like poo, someone will think, oh, I don't want to feel like poo. <laughs> <laughs> seeing right we're seeing what the mind does thank you yeah seeing what the mind does with this then take pity on me they don't really care about me don't really love me yeah and the and and the piece of feeling obliged or compelled to pick up someone what we imagine someone else's experiences yeah what we imagine somebody else's experience Slight reflection. I went on one of Jim, uh, Gregory Kramer's uh, Inside Dialogue retreats, which involve interaction, um, gradually, slowly integrated with from meditation. And I, maybe the freedom in there, the sort of explicit freedom to sort of be a bit different, mm-hmm. like just go a bit quiet, you know, go into take some pause. Go into a, a quiet few moments, you know? not to not for it to be a real absolute either or going right out into the, into the you know, big wide world, but for it still to be, you know what I mean? That there's space to be when meditative, what better word? Yes, yes. In there. Yes, the space, the space to bring in the meditating mind. Yeah. You know, bring it, bring the meditating mind along with it along with the activity. And I'm glad you brought the word pause. Take pause. Pause is such an important word when we're uh, uh, talking about communication because of the energy. The energy swirls. Especially when we're feeling somewhat sensitive or vulnerable. You know, so so see if we can pause that breath, feet on the ground. Something good practice, really good practice. Because what comes, mostly our thoughts, what goes on in our mind, is now getting amplified through the speech, (laughs) which is really what we're worried about. (laughs) It's like, oh, now what a, you know, we're wanting to see if we can pace our verbal communication because what comes out makes an impact and we can't take it back. Once it's out, it's out. There's no delete button. There is a pause button. You can press the pause, but we cannot press delete. That's what's scary. Okay, so on that side, it's a good way to, to see yourself much more clear, clearly because my tendency sometimes is to, to not show myself, but in speech, I'm much more aware, actually, and it's a very good practice because if it was like in action, I could see my, my mind in action. In that observation, it's very insightful because, wow, this is very interesting. And, 
and that really gets to allow myself to, to meet myself in ways that maybe if I'm silent, I can't because I don't have the, the interact, interactivity of it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I can listen. Uh, is the same. So I guess what arose for me more would be why. So also a good opportunity to to um, be in touch with the kindness of people or the qual beautiful qualities of people that we been generating here. So I see it. I see it more in that way of like the water, as it say. You can be. Watered, like beautiful qualities. Oh, that's people. beautiful. Yeah. I don't know if you heard that. He said he, it's, he's seeing it more that he can be also watered by the beautiful qualities that we've been developing here. Isn't that lovely, this lovely image. Watered by the beautiful qualities. Because we have been generating these very lovely, kind, heartful qualities while we're here as well. And now we all can, we are, it's even here in the room, sharing that. But he was saying too, the, how when the, when the mind comes through the speech, sometimes we can see it even more clearly. It's like it's more obvious in some weeks. We see ourselves in a more obvious way. And so if we can hold that, if we can see that with kindness, without judgment, that can also be a way that we can learn and grow in self-understanding I remember on a lot of retreats when the silence is broken, the teachers have given some some guidance about sort of what not to do as well. And I'm thinking particularly about people who share things in the small groups who may not want to discuss them with people who are in the same group with them in a bigger. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So so John is bringing um, uh, in the confidentiality, and so I would like to re. Uh, state that anything that happened in the small groups, we'd like to keep them in the small groups, keep the confidentiality of what happened in there and not speak about another person's experience. Um, So that when you're sharing, if you're sharing, you're really sharing just your own experience, just speaking about yourself. And in the speaking about yourself, another thing that you reminded me that I wanted to say was that we, we want to really go slow with that because sometimes we can maybe give too much of our experience away before it's ready. Maybe our experience isn't really cooked yet. It's not really, it needs to simmer a little bit more. We may not even understand what's happening, so then we're trying to explain it or trying to talk about it. We, it hasn't even really come together yet. So I'm really wanting to encourage us to take time with talking about our experience, our experiences, our, especially our deep or subtle experiences, because it's just we, we need to have them, we need to hold them a little bit longer before we share them or give them away. One thing, oh, go ahead. One thing I found helpful in that with in friendship, friendships where there is some mindfulness and practice is I might say once in a while, I just need to slow it down a bit so I can contact myself. I've just noticed I'm a little bit out. Just give me a moment. I just need to come back. It's a little bit like Keith was saying, supporting the pausing. And they can even be a phrase. I find that quite helpful. If I remember, I just need to slow it down a bit. It's like, can you help me out here? So I'm not having to keep (coughs) filling or not filling the space according to my conditioning. 
On that note, one of the things I always find difficult is speaking to people in my life when I've come off retreat who are interested in my experience. Is that something that you'll be addressing later today? Can, sure. Or could you speak about it now? I can, I can pick that up to, tonight, this afternoon. Okay. Right. So, so the comment was about when coming off of retreat, speaking to people who have not been on retreat, who are close to you in your life, more guidelines, more guidance around that. Okay, Catherine will speak about that later. Or tomorrow morning. Or tomorrow morning. One or the other. <laughs> Yeah, so just keep feeling into your experience. Breathe. <laughs> I guess you can I just feel that kind of woo, you know, it's going like right up, right? Yeah, just right now kind of taking a pause. And Chris, I'll get you in a second. That's right. Just taking a pause and breathing, feeling what's happening in your torso. See if you can feel your body on your seat. Yeah, Chris. I just want to say, well, this came as quite a surprise. I'm staying on a few days and the silence is very precious for me and uh, the contrast to my daily life. And, uh, and I noticed that I, I have a very strong urge to protect, perhaps. Yeah. And I understand what needs to know that it's all right to do that. Yeah. And then I'm not totally experienced a solid and non communicative and, uh, and uh, there's lots of other people here that I'd love to communicate. But right now I feel yeah, and thank you. I'm glad you said that because I think there's a couple people in here who are uh, staying longer, and this may not be appropriate for where you are in your retreat. So different people have different lengths of retreat. So it's it's it's, a, it's appropriate for us who are going to be going home tomorrow. Um, if you are on personal retreat or staying longer. <coughs> Keep checking to see what feels right for you. What feels right for you? Uh, this, which is, again, the question that we want, I would like you, we would like you to carry with you, wherever you are, wherever you go, what feels right for you? What feels true for you? Same in this respect. But I'm glad you said that, Chris, and just letting people know that you're not being, what did you say, sullen? Sullen, non communicative. <laughs> And if you if it feels right, that's okay too. You can maybe speak a little bit and then go back, see how it is for your retreat. Yeah, do you, uh, Eamon? Oh, go um, Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing a fear of, uh, of losing the silence to speech. Um, so I, I want to ask for it, that circle to be still mindful of the volume, but then maybe that's just me being controlling. I don't know. I'd like that. I'd like that. I think that's a, a really wise suggestion. 
Just be watchful of the impact. It's really about the impact in the wider kind of field of silence. Uh-huh. I think that's a, a welcomed suggestion. This is good. You know, we're sort of co-creating this. This is, I appreciate this. Mm-hmm. I have one, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> like Emily said about if somebody, she might think if someone's in the circle on their own, some, some of us might feel obliged to go and we would see our own obligation or compulsion. And with Chris's piece, I was struck also, being not communicative by staying silent watch if we have any uh, projections that we're imagining being judged for that as being sullen or um, somehow not wanting to go to the party. The party includes the silence. (laughs) The party is the silence. And there might in one circle be five people there once or two little couples there. It may be, you know, it can move in and out. The whole thing is is the party. And our individual expression, the more we let ourselves know it, it's not going to look like something that's been written before, and it may be silent in that moment, and it may not. It's a really good opportunity to look at any expectations you have on yourself of how you think you should be today. And just keep. At, I'd like you to ask that question of what's right for for me now, what's right for me now. Saying true to your experience, whatever way that experience is for you. Paying respect. So, just getting to be a quarter to 11 now, 10.45, and um, one more thing. Uh, I will be meeting with uh, Group B today. Um, at 11.45, there is a note on the board. Um, so that was the, the group of people who have come from Iceland. So um, please, um, if you'd like to come, 11.45 in the lounge, I will meet with you. Um, so maybe let's just sit for a minute before we break today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.